we announce that. Good morning. Good morning. I was just talking with Rick, and Rick has uh, some kind of an abrasion or something on his cornea. You know how that'll happen, and you'll scrape your eye there, and uh, eyes heal pretty quickly, but they heal best, as, as he said, you know, they heal best when his eyes, when his eyes are closed. So I'm just letting you know, in case Rick appears to be sleeping all morning, he's really just protecting his eyes. You want to make sure you get out of here before I start driving. So right. 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 Unless, unless he rolls over and falls on the floor, then that's the, that could be a different, a different thing. Anyway, before uh, it's, it's really good to see each of you here. Before we begin, we'll have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for this time that we can meet together here and we can study from your word and help us each to have open hearts and open minds and truly hunger and thirst for for learning and for knowledge about you. And Father, help us to spend this time to your glory and, and please enthuse and inspire all of the teachers in this building this morning and all around the world because teachers are so vital. And as you've warned us in your scripture that your, your, your children can be doomed for lack of knowledge, and we ask, Father, that we truly do hunger for that knowledge because that's what we're here for, to learn about you. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We have been going through these, uh, reviewing these great I am statements that Jesus had made in the Gospel of John before we picked back up in the 15th chapter. And we had mentioned that the phrase I am is critical, it's vital, it's it's what, G, it's what God called himself in, in Exodus, the third chapter, when Moses asked, you know, who's, who should I tell him sent me? And that's when he named himself, I am, that I am. And we use the Y-H-W-H for that, the Hebrew spelling of the name of God. And it speaks of, a, of what theologians will call an aseity. And what that means is a complete self-sufficient existence. And that attribute is really the God is the only thing that fulfills that attribute, a complete self-sufficient existence. It doesn't matter if you go back or you go forward or you it doesn't matter. There's no I was God or I will be God or there's no tense. There's no he just I am. He is completely self-sufficient. It's also critical um, when we study these statements because Jesus is making a statement about deity every time he says this. When he says, I am, he's saying, I am God. And that's critical to know. And we, we, we mentioned that there are some religions that, that deny the deity of Christ. 
But I would point you to Matthew, the 10th chapter. This brief little stop here. Matthew, the 10th chapter, beginning in verse 28. And I would, uh, this will highlight the importance. Forget religions. Talk about you. 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 What is to the extent that you believe that Jesus is God? And why is that important to you? Listen to what Jesus says. And do not fear those who will kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground without your father's will, but even the hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not. Therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Now listen to this. This is from the words, this is from the mouth of Jesus. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who's in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who's in heaven. So that is how critical it is to deny the deity of Jesus. And if you're going to deny that he's God, be prepared that you will be denied to God. We had looked at the first one of I am the bread of life back in John 6. Uh, We looked at the second great I am where he says I am the light of the world in John 8. And we we also had looked uh, at uh, the third one, which was I am the door of the sheep. In John 10, uh, verses 7 and 9. And we talked about what that, how that worked. That there were, in each city, there would be like a large uh, holding area for, for sheep. And they would, all of the shepherds would bring their sheep into that one single area. And there was one door, one way in, one way out. And how the sheep all knew the shepherds, their shepherd's name and their shepherd's voice. And I was reminded there was the stockyards in Peoria. You would think Peoria, Illinois, and stockyards. No, there was a massive stockyards. Uh, it, would, it, it was several blocks long. And, of course, the stockyards of Chicago then were... So this, it, was a, it was a basic holding pin for all of the shepherds. And Jesus said, I am the door of the sheep. He also said that uh, in in, uh, John 10, verse 7, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door, and all who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not heed them. I am the door, and if if anyone enters by me, he will be saved. So it was vital, and we were talking right in there, in that verse, it says, He will go in and out and find good pasture. The thief comes only to kill and steal and destroy, but I came that they'll have life and have it abundantly. And that's right where we were. We were talking about this abundant life and what it means. And, and it doesn't mean um, that you're going to have less trouble, it doesn't mean that you're going to have more money, it doesn't mean that you're going to be blessed in some measurable way that somebody can walk, you know, from 50 yards away, go, yeah, they're a Christian because it means this abundance because of the Holy Spirit. We're going to have 
more than we need to live spiritually every day to give us the hope, to give us the belief, to give us the system to be able to exist in these days. It doesn't refer to um, any, any material riches in any way, but it does refer to a way of living. And it's abundant because it's inexhaustible, not because there's more of it, but it's, it's completely inexhaustible. And I don't know, and it's been mentioned, I don't know how people that do not have this abundant life that we have, I don't know how they exist these days, more and more. I just don't. It has nothing to do with what you have or what you own. It's how you get up in the morning and face each day. How do you have it? You know, unless you have that, that um, belief system. Anyway, so we begin now... Um, in John 10, verse 11 and 14, the fourth one, he says, I am the good shepherd. In John 10, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hireling and not a shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. And, the, and he, he flees because he's a hireling and he cares nothing for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my own. And my own know me. And as the Father knows me, I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. In verses 11 and 14, what specifically does this good shepherd do? Lays down his life for his sheep. Foretells he foretold his death there for sure, and he and he laid down his life when and where? Absolutely on the cross, and even more so, I think his entire existence down here, because as his reference of seeing the wolf coming, the wolf would be Satan, always attempting to devour you and. Any other leaders, they'll weigh it, out, weigh it, measure it out, and take a cut and run, but he didn't. He didn't. He laid down his life for the sheep. But the, the, the summit of it, the tip of the spear, was certainly on the cross. It's just another way for Jesus to give assurance, to guarantee that no matter what befalls you, tribulation or persecution in life, Mm-hmm. You have nothing to be concerned about. This life is but a vapor. He, he's just reassuring us mm-hmm. with these words. Jesus is reassuring us because if you are part of his sheepfold, he lays down, he laid down, in our case now, he laid down his life for us. Hebrews 13 can be helpful. Hebrews 13. Uh, verse 20, now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, who is the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant. So there he's called the great shepherd of the sheep. And to Robbie's point specifically, 
was because of that blood of the eternal covenant, and that blood was shed on the cross. It also may be helpful in 1 Peter 5 when we read about the writing that is to the shepherds, the elders of the church. I exhort you, the elders among you, as a, and as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as the partakers of the glory that's to be revealed. Tend the flock of God that's in your charge, not by constraint, but willingly, and not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not as domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And here's verse 4. And when the chief shepherd, and when the chief shepherd is manifested, you will obtain the unfading crown of glory. So there again, Scripture interprets itself so often. That chief shepherd is Jesus himself. On a personal note, verse 14 what does verse 14 say? It says, I know my own, and my own know me. That is a, is a dual kind of statement. It's very comforting. It's extremely comforting. Because Jesus knows his own. Right? I'm comforted by that. That Jesus knows me. He knows his own. It's also at the same time a very frightening statement. It's a very frightening statement because he says, my own know me. We like the first part. We like that Jesus knows us. The second part, do we know him? Do we know him, Rick? I, was, I had read John 14 like you just asked us to read it, and uh, I was, the whole time I was reading that chapter, and you look at 14 18, he says, I won't leave you as orphans, you know, I'll, I'll be here. Mm-hmm. I think he was concerned about what was going to happen to the apostles. He would generally be concerned and was trying to reassure them like a father would his child. You know, I'm, I, look, I'm, I'm going away, but And Rick brings up, and, and that's the, the, the next great I am that comes in, in chapter 14. You're right. Jesus is extremely concerned about what's going to happen after he dies. But he didn't leave it there. Jesus is con- extremely concerned about what happens to us today. So it's... It, I want, to, I want to make sure that we understand this, this, I know my own and my own know me. David, that's really comforting. When you read that, you know that he's telling his followers that he can be known. We have to search out the scriptures to find out who he is. We are, his own know him. And that, that's, that part is comforting of that, that he can be known. He can be known. It's also an imperative, though. It's an imperative. And that's... If you go to Matthew, the seventh chapter, a good example of that. 
Matthew, the seventh chapter, verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Because on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we cast out demons in your name? Did we do mighty works in your name? Weren't we great? We were there every Sunday. I was a deacon. I was in charge of this and that. Remember that time I went and picked up those people that needed a ride at church? Remember that time? I mean, do we have the time to list all of the stuff I have done for you? Because I believe you, and I believe in you, and I put everything in you because you're him. And what does he say to that person? Potentially? He will say to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. They didn't know him. They didn't know him. They didn't hunger and thirst and pour in here and pray and meditate and weep. And, and they didn't know him. I'm knowing him more and more every day. It's a lifelong thing. It's called sanctification. But you can't hit all the boxes, check the marks, and put a resume together of all the stuff you've done for God if you don't know who Jesus is. It means nothing. And that's the two-edged sword of this. I know you. I'm the good shepherd. You're my sheep. I know you. I know every the numbers of the hairs on you. I know you. Oh, that's wonderful. And you know me. Boy, I hope I know you. We, we being Christians, have got to get this notion out of our minds that if we do these things, yes. And th- it's, a hard, it's a hard job because we're human. We are. And we want, I remember as, and once in a while it still happens. A candy's back there teaching so I can do this. But I will tell you that one of the things that as, as in our lifetime of, and it's been nearly 50 years. I mean, I'm talking like we just got married last week. It's a continual growing learning thing. And there are times she frustrates me. And I will just say, just tell me what you want. Just tell me. Well, that would be nice. That would be easy. I don't say that that much anymore. Almost never. You know why? Because I know her. I know what she wants. I know what she wants. And it's up to me because of that love. And I know what she, I know who she is. I know what she wants. Just, and I want to do that. That's a whole lot different from then just tell me what you want. 
So if you want to come here and have me or Larry or Mac or, so, or any other teacher or somebody get up here and go, get your pens out, I'll t- this is what you need. Number one, and get this all down so you can do that. Without knowing Jesus, all these great I am statements aren't just about his deity. Every time we come across these and every time we read about him and study him, we learn more about him. And because he is deity, when we learn about Jesus, we're learning about who God is. Who is God? You know, who is God? God is the light of the world. God is the bread of life. God is all these things that he's saying is what, that's who God is, by the way. And that's a vital And that's a vital point. I can't and Rick reminds us we can't I can't fool God. I can fool all of you for a while, maybe a long time. You think, boy, that David, he is really he's a he is really a mean machine. He's really got it. Maybe I do. Maybe I'm just working, I'm just slamming away like everybody else, going, you know what, if I, if I can teach, I can add that to my resume, and then maybe that'll leave, God will even smile more on me. Who knows, you know? No, no. You do it because I study this stuff, and, I, and it just overflows, and I want to just throw it out. I want you guys to know what I think. Let's look at this. This is amazing stuff. That's why I do it. And that's a, that's a vital point, the, the balance between reasoning and, and emotion. And, and I will, uh, before the assembly, I will announce that there are some flyers back there that Josh has put back there about his kind of button up his class that he did on apologetics. And apologetics is that come reason with us, you know, and we can sit down and do this very reasoned uh, discussion, and Josh led it, led it extremely well. And those little handouts are really good. That's great. But at the same time, there's a, there, there, 
it's just as great to go, I am, I, I don't know what I would do without Jesus. I love, and I don't throw that word love around. I love God, I love Jesus, I love the Spirit, I love everything about being saved. I loved everything about being his, because I just don't know how else I would, I would live. And to be excited about that, and to actually say it and believe it. You've got to have that balance of both. You can't just, you know, frown and study and, and, and grind out some chart that goes, okay, there's, an, I've, there's no other, this is the way it works. I've, I've figured it out. Here's the, the spreadsheet, and the answer is God. Here it is. But on the same time, you can't just twirl around and dance and, you know, sing songs and hold hands and go, here, we're going to heaven either. There's a reason for why we do this, and it's, it's truth. It's truth. And that comes up more, more, more and more all the time. And I've said that the statement famously or infamously a couple of times. God cares much more about who you are than what you do. Because if you are who you are, the doing will happen anyway. Put your weight on knowing him and and loving him and being transformed by the renewal of your mind into the kind of person he wants to be. And all of these other things are going to happen. The obedience and all of that is something you, you live for. Not because you have to. You live for it. You're absolutely right. Well, David talks about having battle buddies. I have, I have some battle buddies, and those are the ones that say, that come to me and go, "We really appreciate you, David." I don't have any. I don't like the battle buddies that go, "What that said? You shouldn't have said that." I don't like those battle buddies <laughs> so much, but they're extremely vital. And you're right. That's what families do. Verse 16 in John 10, he makes another statement here. Jesus says, I have other sheep who are not of this fold. I must bring them in also. And they'll heed my voice. So there'll be one flock and one shepherd. Who were these other sheep he was talking about at that time? Hmm? Us. Yes, welcome. Welcome. In case you didn't know, you were the other sheep. We were the other sheep. Okay? And I'm thankful to God for that. Again, uh, verse 17, for this reason my father, this is the reason, for this reason my father loves me because I lay down my, my life that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. 
I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. And this charge I have received from my father. Was Jesus killed? No. No. Thank you, David. Remember how the book of John begins? In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. And in the beginning... With God, all things were made through him, and without him, nothing was, anything was made. In him was the life and the light of men, and on and on and on. Could any created being, could any created being take Jesus' life? No. That's right. It's, it's... It's an amazing thing, and, and we, should, we should always remember that. It, it was time. It was time. I don't have, I don't know what, I didn't, I'm not privy to Godly's, God's clock on how all that, maybe it should have happened sooner, should have happened later. No, it happened exactly at the right time. And you know when we read through the Gospels, there were times that Jesus went this way instead of that way to avoid danger. Or he might have been in a situation and suddenly he was poof and he was gone. He disappeared. He just disappeared. And on and on. Well, then there's a time. That he not only he not only didn't avoid danger, he not only didn't disappear, but he but he left that room. Come, let's go. After he after he's praying, if there's any other way and there's sweat drops of blood are coming from him, he comes out of those prayers with a prayer answered, and then says, let's go. They're coming. And he goes to meet them because it was time. Because it was time. And no, he didn't just have a bad day and get in a mess that he couldn't get out of, and they had him, and he was, ugh, and then they bound him up, and then they killed him. It was time. And he laid down his life willingly for me for Ricky, for Joe, willingly. For a long time I've had a problem with people making the statement that the Jews killed Jesus. <laughs> right. You know, it just, uh, it's a paradox in a way. Right. And that, you know, they were physically there and they were the ones that we all killed him, if you want to say it in those words. Sin right. is what, but he did it purposely. Right. He made a choice just like mm-hmm. we make choices. And when he says, I love it, when you say, and they will hear my voice. Who's going to hear his voice? Those people that believe in him right. and that want to do his will right. and are seeking to do his will right. in all and in all that, Joe makes another really good point. Those of you, and I was, and I struggled earlier on. How do you know Jesus? I mean, where do you start, really? Okay, I have my Bible. I've got my, my, my glass of water. I've got my favorite chair. I'm ready. I want to know him. Where do we go here? Once you, it's... It's wanting to know him, seeking him. He'll be found. He will. 
again, it goes back to that, what Larry brought up, it's, it's, that, it's that desire, that wanting to be, that wanting to know. I want to know who Jesus is. Who is this guy? Is he God? Is he why? Is my because I'm basing my entire existence on him. I better know who he is, right, Carol? Yes. And as far as good works, lots of people outside of Christ do wonderful things. Right. But if you're not in Christ, you're not going to be saved. Because it's being in Christ and having our sins covered. And we are his workmanship in Christ, created in Christ. So. And I wish I could say that verbatim so that everybody could hear. Carol's point is basically to. To know him is to know his word, because he is the word, and his word is here, and it's the time spent there genuinely looking for him, not looking for, I believe this, and you know what, and if I, if I, with this scripture, and, and this one, and this one, I can support what, that point, and too many people do that. Here's what I believe, and I'll take this, and I can make it support what I believe. No. I'm genuinely searching for the truth, for the word, so that I can know what he wants me to be. I want to be what God wants me to be. If I'm genuinely struggling and trying and grinding and loving and looking to where I will spend eternity with him, I better know what I'm getting into. And why I want to do it. Not because it's just a little better alternative than, than being, you know, dying in some place called hell. That's not a good enough, that's not a good enough idea. That isn't life more abundantly, or abundantly, excuse me. It's knowing him, it's knowing his word. That's what it's about. And, and to, to Joe's point, it's all of the word. And, and it is a point. In our house, there's, a, there's a, a, a quiet place in the house, a couple of them. And you will notice little things there. You know, be still and know that I'm in God. And, and these wonderful passages, the classic passages of time that are all encouraging and uplifting. Oddly enough, I don't have ones that go, 
if you have something against your brother, drop what you're doing and, and, and take care of that right now because otherwise I don't want any part of you or you've already killed him. If you hate him, you've committed murder. Or if you've done, I don't know, all those kind of things. Or if you've looked at a woman in a certain way, you've already, come on. And all these kind, I don't have little plaques of those around because I don't like those. I like the ones that give me comfort and that make me feel good and make me feel loved. So I have those. But I don't have the ones that mold and bend me more like God wants me to be. I don't have a bunch of those plaques around, say. Uh oh. Much, much of my life, I have struggled with the fact that from eternity, God planned to sacrifice his son for me. That is. I had a loving father do that. And it's, it's difficult for me to deal with. Put that way, it's difficult for me to deal with. It makes me feel unworthy and maybe we all need a dose of that but I don't know if anybody else ever struggles with the concept of God having planned for me an eternal existence in heaven by sacrificing his son I, I don't know that I could ever, ever understand it mm-hmm. I don't think any of us can David that's what makes it so marvelous that's really the mystery. It's always called the mystery. Because, and, and the fact that God is, they're, they're, did you know that they actually are preparing a special place for, a special place for me? For, for me. And it probably will have other plaques in there that I don't have. That is beautifully written. To David's Saying, Joe said, there's things that'll be revealed to us, and they're they're wonderful. I'm reminded as in the and so much we're raising our kids, and we would be going fill in the blank, something great. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there? Every no. Wait till we get there. I mean, you're just gonna be well. What is it? I can't even I can't even explain it. It's wonderful. You're gonna love it. 
And then when they got there, they were. But, you know, how do you explain some of that? Well, he can't. He can't even explain how great it is. Well, one, one way that I've dealt with it is realizing that he created me too. Yes. Yes, he did create you. we do we don't get to choose who he died for he died for everyone the fifth uh, great I am I want to get to that in the last few minutes and throw something here that I want you to think about this week it says I'm the resurrection and the life this is in John 11 and the setting for that great statement was the death of, of Lazarus and so in in uh, John eleven seventeen. when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. And while Mary sat in the house, Martha had run to see Jesus and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I, I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to, them, said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who's coming into the world. When you, when you ask, what is, the, uh, what is the phrase, I am the resurrection and the life, and what does that mean to you? It means uh, many, many wonderful things that are almost too lengthy to list. But, I, but what I want to leave you with, because it's only two minutes, but I, what I want to leave you with is everyone dies twice. Everyone dies twice. And that's why the resurrection and the life matters so much. And we will go through scripture to understand that because I know some of you are going to go, oh, wait a minute here. As it's appointed for man once to die, and then comes the judgment. I think you will see. We will look at it. I want you to think about it. Everybody actually dies twice. First time because of sin. Usually. We'll see. Everybody dies twice. But it depends on when you die and where you die. That's how your eternity is. And we will look at that. So... Be prepared. We're going to finish up with I am the resurrection and the life, and then we will get into the chapter 15 where I am the, the true vine, and then we'll be marching through, through John uh, with great love and learning. I appreciate all your comments this morning. Thank you so much.